I'd invite you to turn with me this morning or this evening to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to take a break for a week in looking at uh, kind of doing a New Testament survey. We'll pick that up uh, next week with the book of Romans. Uh, but this, this evening, I want to look at an Easter story, but an Easter story, uh, not the Easter story uh, of the morning, of Easter morning, but rather the continuation of the Easter story and Easter evening. So it's fitting, I think, that on Easter evening, we look at what happened on that first Easter evening, uh, a story that was one of my favorite and it's, uh, talked about often called the road to Emmaus. Um, just a note on the picture that you uh, see on your screen, that's a photo I took in Israel of what is most likely the road to Emmaus. It's a Roman road from the first century found right between Jerusalem and Emmaus and uh, discovered by uh, the man I went to Israel with years ago and slowly starting to make its way into the, his, into the record books and the history books as, as an authentic site. Uh, and it doesn't really make any difference that you can see a bunch of stones that have been laid out by the Romans, but it gives you a sense of uh, this is the road and where the events that we'll be looking at this, e- this evening happened. So that helps you. Uh, I, I know it kind of helps me, especially having been there. So this morning we talked about the up-to-the-minute relevance of the resurrection. And we talked, and we can do well to reflect on it, and we reflected on it in, in the message, we reflected on it by responding with the Heidelberg Catechism as it talks about the significance of the resurrection for us. And as Christians, we probably have spent a lot of time dwelling on the importance of the resurrection for our own lives, for our own salvation, and the like. But this, this evening we're going to put ourselves in the sandals of, of some folks that didn't have as much time to, to respond to all of this. This was brand new. They had, heard, had gotten word that Jesus wasn't in the tomb, but no one had seen him yet. And they weren't sure what to do with it. They didn't have all this time to, to think about all oh, the wonders of the resurrection and what it does for me. They were just trying to, to figure out what was going on and were very confused. And Jesus enters the picture uh, at that point and, and uh, brings them the good news uh, by showing up in person. But let's look at that story uh, as we find it after the, the first 12 verses of Luke, which tell the tell the Easter story that we think of, the Easter story proper, but then we find out what happens later in that day. So chapter 24 of Luke, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them, that is two of the disciples, not necessarily the apostles, but other disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, 
and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, it's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We'll conclude our reading. At that point, would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, as you inspired Luke to record this story for not only our memory, but for our benefit, we pray now that you would inspire these words and this scene to us to help us understand what we might learn from them, but also how might we might respond to this Jesus in this story and, and his revelation to us and his resurrection. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Eastertide is what the Christian church generally calls that time immediately following Easter up until the Ascension or Pentecost. Eastertide was an exciting time for the disciples. Their dashed hopes were revived. Jesus appears and puts his life into focus. A new perspective takes shape for the disciples, especially as Jesus spends time teaching them about how the Old Testament scriptures spoke of him. For 40 days during that time, Jesus remains with them and, and teaches them. And then 10 days after his ascension, sends the promised Holy Spirit. During this time, the disciples learned another, a number of important lessons that lie on the other side of Easter, including the first lesson that they learned that we look at this evening. Now imagine, and some of you don't have to imagine it because you've been there, imagine having major surgery to correct a debilitating problem. And as you awake from the stupor and the numbness of the anesthetic starts to wear off, all of a sudden the pain begins. It's part of the healing process. 
And yet, eventually, as the pain subsides and, and you recuperate, you can now do things that you couldn't do before the surgery. Despite the pain, there is new life on the other side of surgery. Well, you could say that Jesus' disciples had just undergone major surgery, radical surgery, through the crucifixion of their friend, their, their teacher, their Lord. And though the shock had numbed them for a while like anesthetic, it was starting to wear off. They were awakening from their stupor, and, and the pain was hitting them with full force. Good news was coming. The surgery was successful. The Lord was alive. But as with many surgeries, a sign of recovery was post-operative pain. And for them, that post-operative pain was spiritual heartburn. Were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. I want to suggest to you that spiritual heartburn can come from a, a variety of places and a variety of experiences, but for Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, it came from a close call with spiritual death, scriptural indigestion, and meeting their maker. So I want to look at those three things for a few moments this evening. First, a close call with death. Have you ever had to swerve a car to avoid an accident? A number of years ago, we were traveling to Chicago, and I was on the left side of, of the highway and on the left side of a semi, but the semi started slowly coming over into our lane, and it didn't stop. It kept coming all the way into our lane, and I was forced to the median, grateful that there was a median, and, and grateful that there was enough room to drive through the grass as he came all the way over, apparently falling asleep at the wheel. Have you ever had something like that? Has your heart's beating three times as fast, and you think what could have happened? Maybe you suddenly feel faint, perhaps even a little sick to your stomach. A close call with death can give us heartburn. And I think that was part of their heartburn that Easter Sunday evening. Jesus had died. He had promised not to leave them as orphans, but boy, they sure felt like orphans. How could they continue this adventure with him? I think that's the mood of these two disciples as they're fleeing Jerusalem to escape the nightmare, heading home to Emmaus on the worst day of their lives. Wait a minute, you say, worst day? What about Friday with Jesus shocking death? Or what about the Sabbath with them at worship just going through the motions? Frederick Buechner suggests for at least some of the followers of Jesus, maybe the worst day was the third one, Sunday, which for the Jews was like our Monday. With everything around them returning so completely to normal, that it was impossible to believe that either his life or death was going to make any difference to the world at all. When they were suddenly afraid that the whole business of his life had not really added up to much. Oh, he'd made great promises and great claims and a number of people placed all their greatest hopes in him. But now he was dead. End quote. And life goes on and they had to face it. 
So they head home to escape the memories in Jerusalem. Their mood is betrayed by their words. They talk about Jesus. They say he was, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. They started telling this man who joined them on the road to Emmaus of their hopes for Messiah. But it's clear they have fallen into feelings of hopelessness. They saw his power, but he, he just didn't use it at the right time. He didn't use it to overthrow Rome. He didn't use it to save himself from the cross. They had hoped he was the Messiah, the promised Messiah to redeem Israel, but he's dead. And the third day buried their hopes even further because it was the day the Jews believed that the, the body and soul started to separate. Did they forget about his third day predictions of resurrection? And they were confused by a hopeful sign, the empty tomb. They didn't believe the women's vision after their hopes had been shattered so badly. Perhaps they didn't want to risk further heartbreak. They had the facts, they had the prophecies, Jesus' predictions, the news from the women, the empty tomb, but the facts didn't change their feelings. They were too close to a close call. When we realize our close call with spiritual death, if not for Jesus' death and resurrection, it might get up, give us heartburn. Or sometimes, because of the personal tragedies in our lives or our daily worries, the facts of Jesus' promises don't necessarily change our feelings. I think another part of their spiritual heartburn comes from, for lack of a better term, scriptural indigestion. Jesus starts talking. Verse 25, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. Have you ever eaten a great meal while you were worried or while you were upset? Perhaps you're eating in a hospital cafeteria where your while your loved one is having major surgery. Or... Maybe it's a meal before a major exam or a job interview. Have you ever had that? You try to eat the meal, 
But as good as the meal is, it almost makes you sick. It gives you indigestion. You reach for the Maalocks or Toms. Cleopas and his friend were joined in their walk by a man seemingly out of touch with things. But as he talks, he begins to reveal a prophetic perspective on events. And they felt something churning inside, like heartburn. Actually, they were getting a tasty meal of the bread of life, but maybe it was too much, especially for the way they were feeling. Starting with Moses, probably all the way, perhaps all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where God had said to the serpent, the seed of the woman will crush your head, and you will only bruise his heel. And then going on to the prophets, perhaps Isaiah 53 and the, the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Starting with Moses and through the prophets, Jesus heaped four years of seminary training on their plates. And they had heartburn. Were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And maybe we get scriptural indigestion when we try to take in all the fulfillment of Jesus' death and resurrection, all that it means, all that it had been prophesied to mean. Maybe sometimes we doubt. We don't believe the promises are true. Or maybe it's just that bad feelings from what's going on in our lives right now, our worries, our our stressors, keep us from enjoying the banquet of God's grace. I think a third reason they might have had spiritual heartburn was meeting their maker. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Those words sound very, if they sound familiar to you, that's exactly what he said at the Last Supper and what he did. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, And those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Meeting their maker. Has God ever totally shocked you with his presence? Has something happened that was so obviously from God that you were spooked? That you were scared to death at his presence? Your heart was in your throat? Have you ever thought what it would be like if God showed up physically in church? Annie Dillard once wrote, Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. 
Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Cleopas and his friend were about to have this experience, meeting their maker. They invited in this intriguing stranger. They wanted to hear more. Maybe he rekindled some hope in them that they had lost. And then the guest becomes the host, breaking bread in the same way he did at the Last Supper, and they recognize Jesus. And they had to be shaken. Their, their hearts caught in their throats, for this was not merely Jesus, their, their rabbi, their, their buddy. This was Jesus in his glorified body, the risen Lord of life, God himself. And they'd walked with him and talked with him. With him. And as, just as their eyes are open to who he was, he disappears. But they knew. They had seen. Jesus was alive. It explained their burning hearts. It explained their newfound hope. It all made sense. And once again, life made sense too. So they raced the seven miles up the mountain to Jerusalem. This couldn't wait till morning. Their feelings had turned to joy. Do we ever get heartburn when we realize God is present with us? What would you do if you turned around and there was an angel? Or there was Jesus himself? Probably have some serious heartburn. And yet he's always there. He's always there, just not visible. Do we get heartburn when God gets too close for comfort sometimes? When we know something so clearly of God or we can see the work of God so clearly that we are a little spooked? Can we allow the fact of God's presence to turn our heartburn into joy? Jesus could have gone from the empty tomb right to heaven. Why didn't he? Oh, yes, the appearances helped prove his resurrection, but not for anyone who didn't want to believe in him. But I think mainly Jesus' appearances after the resurrection reminded his disciples of his continued presence with them maybe even gave them a, a form for thinking about his presence. Think about it. Could Cleopas and his buddy ever walk down a road again, much less the road to Emmaus, without thinking of Jesus walking beside them? Do you think the disciples ever encountered heartburn again and chalked it up to more than indigestion? On the other side of Easter is spiritual heartburn. I trust that you've had those times when God was especially near, when your heart burned within you. Perhaps it's a little frightening at first, but heartburn soon gives way to assurance and joy when we realize that we have an ever-present Lord who walks beside us. In the midst of what we're going through, He is still here, walking with us through the fear and monotony 
of life. Do we feel his presence today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you not only rose from the dead, but that you appeared to your disciples, that you appeared to many, and that in your appearances, you gave us a sense of what we can look for, the way that you come alongside us in our daily journeys, in the midst of our confusion and, and uh, pain and lack of hope, even as these disciples had. We pray that we might have open eyes to see you walking alongside us, to see you working with us and calling us into places where you're working. Help us to join you there. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Come, you faithful, raise the strain. This one comes from Lift Up Your Hearts. If you're following along, it's number 199. The words and music will also be on the screen. And let's stand as we sing the three stanzas.